with me the scripture this morning from the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter, the first three verses. This is Jesus talking. He says, don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt to you. Why do you see the splinter that's in your brother's or sister's eye? But don't notice the log in your own eye. Well, <laughs> friends, I'm going to tell you right out of the chute this morning, I'm going to confess that it's been a hard week to live into this scripture. It's been a challenge over the last several years to live into this scripture, but it has been a test to the nth degree lately for me to hold my tongue, my pen, and especially my judgment. The latest variant of the virus that causes COVID-19 and how we all deal with it has just really caused quite the stir. And along with it, a lot of really bad and, and deadly information. And along with that, a lot of violence and anger. We've all probably seen the videos and the news reports of the city council meetings and the school board meetings where parents, and even in some cases, citizens who are just mad at everything, are decrying any effort at all to try and prevent the spread of a deadly virus. Some of the video clips that we've seen lately would be comical if they weren't speaking to something so serious and fatal. I'm honest when I tell you that it's very, very hard for me not to judge those folks and ascribe any number of guilts onto them. Do they really believe that every nation around the globe is in on and part of a worldwide hoax? If they do, I can see why they'd be so angry. Do they really believe that something as simple as wearing a mask is the government's attempt at mind control? If they do, I can see why they wouldn't want to wear one, and I can see why they would hate the government that's trying to get them to wear one. Do they really believe that the deaths of almost 625,000 Americans and nearly 4.5 million people around the world is not worth making an effort, some sort of effort, any kind of effort to stop the spread of a killer sickness? If they do, I can see why they're not concerned. If they really do believe that millions of deaths Trillions in lost revenues, staggering unemployment, homes lost to foreclosures, evictions because of no incomes, no in-person classes in school, no government services, the shutting down of industries and ministries struggling to survive. If they believe that all of this and every single nation around the globe is all in an attempt to establish a socialist government here in the United States then I can see why they'd be so willing to act the way they act and say the things they say. But golly, it's hard for me not to cast some serious judgment on them. This week, just this week, a state legislator who represents some of the dearest, most beautiful people in my life pleaded with them, 
pleaded with his constituents, pleaded with my loved ones, people that I would sacrifice my own well-being for, he pleaded with them not to get vaccinated against COVID-19, and he pleaded with them not to wear a mask, and he pleaded with them not to avoid trying to contract COVID-19. This person who cannot possibly love these dear people in my life as much as I do is telling them to risk their health, to endanger their well-being, to imperil their lives in the name of freedom and government defiance. Yes, it's hard for me not to judge that sort of thing. It's hard for me not to judge his character. It's hard for me not to judge his heart. It's hard for me not to judge his intellect. I don't want to. I really don't want to. I want to think better of Him. But it's hard. It's hard, especially when someone puts people that I love so much in such danger. So I guess when it comes to this scripture that we read, these words of Jesus, this instruction from the one we follow, when it comes to these words, I have been a hypocrite lately. Quite the hypocrite, but I've got a good feeling that I'm not alone. If there's a piece of scripture that most of the unchurched world knows, it's this one. They probably know these words better than they know any other verses of scripture. And I love it because they usually, usually hearken back to the old English way of saying it. You know, when, when they say it, they'll say, judge not that ye be not judged. Those responses are legitimate and they usually come from people who aren't churched when people who are churched or are judgy Christians are casting some sort of shade or some sort of judgment on them. I think it's always fun that they go back to the old English when they say it. But this morning I want us to look back and think about what Jesus was really saying. The scripture that we read this morning is part of a much larger message or sermon that Jesus shared fairly early on in His ministry with the crowd that had gathered around Him. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're able to read the whole thing, it actually you'd have to read three whole chapters in the book of Matthew to read the entire sermon. Besides these verses that we read this morning on judging, the Sermon on the Mount also includes what we call the Beatitudes that many of us are familiar with. And it also includes the Lord's Prayer that we pray often here at BUCC. But as we all know, it's not uncommon for biblical texts to be misunderstood or misinterpreted, especially over time. And I'm sure that these verses that we read this morning are no exception. Growing up in church myself... I've often understood them very simply, and I'll have to tell you that the church that I grew up in and the, the, the denomination that I grew up in was very, very, very judgy. We took a whole lot of pride in being as judgy as we were, even while we would declare to judge not that we be not judged. But I've always understood these verses pretty simply. Don't judge people unless you're willing to live up to that very same standard of judgment. That simple understanding should be enough to stop every single one of us before we utter a single word of judgment towards somebody else. 
Stan Mitchell, one of the most beautifully kind and thoughtful preachers of truth I've ever known in my entire life, tells the story of a time that he was working uh, in a ministry to the homeless in Nashville. I reheard him tell the story a couple of weeks ago, and it reminded me of an encounter that I had of my own a few years ago. I was working in the mayor's office here in Lexington then, and I was invited one day to go with some of the staff from our homelessness prevention office to visit some of the day centers and some of the overnight residences that provide food and shelter and other services to our city's homeless population. I'll go ahead and admit right now that I went into this day with an attitude. Before I even said hello to a single homeless person, I made up my mind that they were in their unfortunate place because they had probably messed up somewhere along the way. or They were just a failure at some point in their life. Before I heard a single story from their lips, I'd written a narrative that justified why they found themselves homeless. It was awful of me. It was horrible of me to go into their world with such an unfair, uneducated notion. How incredibly wrong of me to compare my privilege to their need. Throughout the day, we visited several services and programs that work very hard to help the population, the homeless population, find some stability and some ways to become self-sustaining and independent. I watched people with almost no possessions of their own offer to share with others. Part of the day included riding on the work van that you may see driving around town sometimes. The van drives around and it offers day work to those folks who'd like to just make a few dollars helping the city crews clean up the streets and the parks. The van drives around to the intersections here in town that are known to be hangouts by the homeless, the homeless population and that are usually frequented by panhandlers. The van pulls up. Those who want to work climb in. They usually put on a, a really bright colored high visibility vest. And then they just kind of carry on with their conversations just like the same kind of conversations that everybody else has. Some days hardly anybody wants to work. And then there are other times that the van runs out of seats before it runs out of wannabe workers. If you've ever driven through the intersection of Maxwell and Broadway downtown, you've probably seen a lot of panhandling activity going on around there. The day that I rode the van, we stopped by that intersection to see if anybody wanted to work. There were only two seats left on the van, and I was feeling kind of guilty that I was taking up one of them. But looking back on it now, I would not trade that day for anything in the world. Instead of sitting up front with a driver, I chose to sit in the back with the workers. I don't know why I did, but I just kind of expected the people who climbed in that van to be embarrassed or to be angry or to be whining about everything. And the truth is, I didn't hear any of that at all except from Fitz. Fitz seemed to be all around unhappy. He complained about everything. And honestly, I couldn't figure out why everybody wasn't as angry as Fitz. 
but they weren't. But Fitz was. He complained that the van's air conditioner was blowing too strong, while he complained that the bottled water was not cold enough. He whined when he heard that the snacks were apples, and he complained that lunch was going to be sandwiches and chips. He had no way of knowing that I worked in the mayor's office. But even if he did, I don't know if it would have kept him from complaining about that pathetic excuse of a mayor down at City Hall. Something was wrong with everything, according to Fitz. Manny got into the van at the same stop as Fitz. The two were friends, and they could not have been more unalike. Manny just smiled a lot. No one else in the van responded to Fitz's constant complaints except Manny. It was like nobody else in the van heard a word that Fitz said except Manny. When Fitz would complain about something, Manny would just chuckle. He'd try to play it down and he'd just try to lighten the mood. I tried not to take Fitz's complaining and whining to heart, but I think that Manny could tell what I wanted to do was tell Fitz that he should appreciate that he wasn't still out there on that intersection, that he should appreciate that he was not out in the heat anymore, but he was actually in the air conditioning. What I wanted to say is, Fitz, you should be happy that you have that bottle of water. You should be happy that you get an, ac an apple for a snack, and you should be happy that you get a lunch. That's what I was thinking. And Manny must have known or sensed that Fitz's constant complaining was starting to bother me. The first stop that the van made, the first work stop that we made that day was at a park. When the van stopped, we all climbed out and we started walking toward a fence row that was all the way back on the far end of the property. We seemed to always stay pretty far away from the playgrounds. When we got out of the van, Manny hung back a little bit and he told me not to give too much thought to Fitz. He really was pretty apologetic for his friend. He's had it rough lately, Manny said. He hadn't been around this life very long. He's not used to the way things are just yet. Manny told me some of Fitz's story. He didn't know how long he'd been without a home but he did know that he showed up at the shelter only about a week or two ago. From what Manny did know, Fitz had a family, an ex-wife, kids, and Manny thinks that maybe even some grandkids. He saw Fitz looking at some pictures the other day. He's pretty sure that's who it was. He also knows that Manny missed an important something going on with one of his kids or grandkids and he couldn't get back home to whatever it was, to celebrate whatever it was. He said that Fitz was pretty upset about it and he worried that his family would think that he didn't love them or he didn't care. And, Manny said, Fitz just found out recently that he's pretty sick. Somebody somewhere must have let Manny know that I worked for the mayor because he asked me to overlook what his friend had said about my boss and not to look too harshly on his friend. Don't judge him too much, Manny said. 
Don't judge him too much. Don't judge him too much. There I was in my position of privilege, knowing that by the end of the day, heck, even before the end of the shift, I was going to be back in my chair in my office in the air conditioning. And then I was going to go back to my comfortable home and I was going to eat anything I darn well wanted. Here I was knowing that, knowing that by the end of the day, I would be in a much better place than Fitz or Manny. And that's exactly what happened. I went back to my office, went back to work. At the end of the day, I got in my car and I went back to my home. But there weren't very many minutes that went by that I didn't hear that five-word sermon that Manny shared with me. Don't judge him too much. Jesus had said the same thing to me. He said the same thing thousands of years before to a crowd of people that had gathered. Before Manny ever said it, Jesus said to His followers, to you and to me, the same thing. Don't judge Him too much. But then Jesus finished up with proper context, certain context, and He said, you don't want to judge Him too much because truth is, you know you don't want to be judged. Jesus wasn't talking about judging intellect. He wasn't talking about judging knowledge or judging skill or judging education or judging personality or judging ability or even judging possessions. Jesus was saying, don't judge another person's heart unless you're willing to put your heart under that same microscope. Don't examine their soul unless you're willing to put your soul up for examination. Don't expose them unless you're willing to be exposed. Then he calls out the hypocrisy of casting judgment on others while we have our own even bigger issues. I had no idea of the battles that were raging inside Fitz's heart and mind. I have no concept of what it's like to lay down at the end of the day with images of my loved ones so far away, knowing that I have no way of getting to them, wondering what they think about me, wondering if they think about me. I don't know what it's like to have things, to have what I need one moment and then everything be gone the next. But Manny did. And that's why he asked me not to judge Fitz too much. And Jesus did. And that's why he asked me not to judge Fitz too much. Or anyone else too much. Even those people I don't understand too much. Even those people I don't agree with too much. Even those people I feel are unhinged or uninformed, too much. 
I know that I'm still going to have trouble as COVID rages on and as we go through all of these stages of variants and everything else going on, I know that personally I'm going to have trouble with the folks who aren't taking it as seriously as I think they should. But I hope all along the way that I remember the day in the van and the lesson that I learned from two homeless men to consider their situation and to not judge them too much. I hope. I hope. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Bluegrass United Church of Christ podcast. We'd love to have you join us for a service sometime. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. 500 Don Anna Drive in Lexington, Kentucky. You can find us online at bluegrasschurch.org.